This could sound like I'm talking about event 201, the lead up to the COVID response hoax, which was the installation of global tyranny as we now know. This is not a soundbite about event 201. It was really to create these scenarios based on scenarios that have happened in the past, but how do countries respond to them? We had eight teams. We had four rounds spanning from 2020 to 2030. Our real hope was that we would get players from all around the world to elevate a more global conversation among all of those different worldwide experts. So worldwide experts rehearsing an event, but not preventing that event. And now that event is unfolding as similar world experts speak words like this. The pandemic has been the ultimate disruptor. It has changed our realities and given us cause to pause and reflect. And the disruption is an opportunity for us to reset. Fortunately for us, we already have a blueprint for such a world in the Sustainable Development Goals and the 2030 Agenda. So the 2030 Agenda published by the World Economic Forum. That's all really weird. So is the fact that there is a, there was a meeting about, uh, what's it called? It's a, it's an illness. Oh yeah. Monkeypox. The Todd Herman show is 100% disapproved by big pharma technocrats and tyrants everywhere. Now from the high mountains of free America, here's the Emerald city exile. Todd Herman. Today is the day the Lord has made, and these are the times through which God has decided we shall live. Again, I want to say what a pleasure it was to be able to spend time with everybody who made it to the event in Bothell. I spoke uh, for a lot longer time about that in hour one. But in case you haven't yet heard our one, just thank you for coming on a Friday night. It was so phenomenal. What a gift to be able to spend an hour and a half um, after the talk chatting with all of you and getting to see your faces and to make that human connection that's really missing um, in podcasting. I mean, it's the Lord has blessed this cast and, and it's we're so thankful for it, my family and I but to get a chance to gather with y'all. And yeah, I did. I got, let's see, I had two people come to me and say they'd, they'd signed up with soda weight loss to drop unwanted fat from their body. And it was so fascinating because one was a young woman and I wouldn't anticipate she had uh, a tremendous amount of fat to lose. She's pregnant. And after she gives birth, and it's safe, and, and the nutritionists there say it's safe. She's anticipating needing to take weight off because it happened with another child. Another guy was a very big dude, super big guy, um, about the size of my dad and a little younger, and he's getting started in his journey. So thank you to Soda Weight Loss for helping our family stay, uh, get and stay healthy. Um, this, is, this is one of those shows that I know uh, were we doing this on radio? And I'm not to say, I'm not saying I'll never do radio again. It would just be under some very specific arrangements and agreements. I know that if I did this show under radio, in radio, that I would get, that I would get friends 
and colleagues coming and saying, you're doing it again. You're doing conspiracy series stuff. And every time I ask them about, well, what, what exactly is the conspiracy that, that, for instance, I was once told by saying things are never going back to normal, you are, you're engaging in a conspiracy theory. This was during the height of the lockdown. And I said, no, that's analysis. It's analysis when I say things aren't going back to normal. That's my analysis of the situation. Like when a financial, so-called financial expert says, oh yeah, inflation's not going to go back behind, below this level or housing prices aren't going to um, settle down. They're going to continue to go up or Russia's going to become more belligerent or those are just, that's an analysis. But there's this fear factor that drives so much of, of even conservative media that you want to just, you, you want to do what Microsoft used to call fast follow. Never get out ahead of things, but I'm sorry. Uh, that's, that's, no, that's insane. If you're given the privilege, if the Lord has privileged you to be able to speak with people and, and number one here, we try to put his word at the center and I got to say, I didn't do a great job at that in hour one. There was just so much news. And I think when you're talking about the Clintons, as we did last hour, I mean, <laughs> uh, they stand adverse to God in most things and in, in almost everything. So uh, God's word is implied. Um, man, in this case, what's going on is so utterly ungodly. And it's so biblical. It's so biblical in scope. Uh, it goes to the Tower of Babel and people speaking nonsense. And it goes to people choosing to hear not the word of God, but the lies that appeal to them and, and choosing to have sweet, sweet lies that, that they like and make them feel good. The Bible discusses that. It, it goes to um, Israel having forgotten the law. There was an entire generation of Hebrew people, Israeli people who forgot the law. They forgot it existed. And I, I constantly forget the name of this young king, but he was like nine years old when he took over. And he said, what's this? This is the law. Oh, we use, this is from God. We need to, we need to operate in that. It goes to that. Um, it, it goes to the schemes of the high and the mighty and the, the, the Lord laughs at these and will, will flick them off when he decides to knock them down. It goes to all of this. And I know I'm not being prescriptive in, in getting to Bible verse by Bible verse, but the themes in this are so thick. And I, I, when I listen and I watch a disinformation board, and then I watch the content that we're going to talk about in regard to COVID, in regard to finance, in regard to climate, in regard to food, how could I not see that this appears to be a planned collapse? How could I not reach that conclusion? It is a hallmark of 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 totalitarian regimes that they set up disinformation boards and that they themselves take on the role of deciding what is and is not truth. It is absolutely part of totalitarianism 101. So let's start with this as framework. This is a long clip, relatively speaking, about two minutes. It is, uh, and I may stop it uh, time by, uh, bit by bit to provide my conspiracy theory talk on top of it. It is uh, Peter Ducey, who, who does a great job in the White House press room and the Wall Street Journal's Torini party. And they're talking to this, this embarrassment. And, and yes, I know that she's same-sex attracted and black and therefore sacred, but she's also an embarrassment. The press secretary, Corinne Jean-Pierre, who is once again reading a briefing book and pretending to not read a briefing book. And it is, it is utterly embarrassing. They're talking about the disinformation committee, which has been stalled. It's been paused. 
I believe it was a trial balloon. I think they wanted to get out and say, wow, Democrats really like censorship. Maybe we can convince other people that censorship's a good thing and the government should censor more stuff. So, so it starts with the lady from the journal, uh, Trina Party, asking questions, and then we get into Peter Ducey's work. Experts have said that it was sort of set up to fail the way it was rolled out. Do you have a response to that? So um, the board has never convened. Uh, it, uh, so that's, it, it never convened, and, it, and the board is, uh, is yes, the board is, uh, is, is pausing in the sense that it will not convene while former Secretary Chertoff and former Deputy AG Gorlick uh, do. So let's stop there. Gorlick. Do you remember the name Gorlick? So Jamie Gorlick or Gorelick, Gorlick was responsible for the housing crisis. She was at the center of the effort to, to not see the banks will say they were forced to purchase or to back loans that people didn't have a chance to pay off. There's no possible chance they could pay those off ever. They were forced, the banks will say, to, to, to back those loans. So the bank said, fine, we'll do that. But you put the government behind our loans. We never lose money. We are too big to fail. They did that. And we know what happened with the housing crisis. She was at the center of that. She was at the center of the decision to block the FBI and the CIA from sharing information about terrorist plots, even in our country. And that's, if you read the book, The Looming Towers, that was the linchpin ruling diktat that allowed 9-11 to come to fruition. Jamie Gorlick was at the center of both of those things. Jamie Gorlick is going to sit on a committee to review the disinformation board. She's going to sit on it with Michael Chertoff, who, as Jenny Beth Martin points out on um, Twitter, Chertoff is a co-author of the Patriot Act, was a perpetuator of the Trump-Russia conspiracy during the 2016 election. And she says he is the definition of disinformation. So those actors are going to be on a committee to see if the disinformation board continues. Now, of course, you don't get the chance to push back that way in the White House. So let's go back to the hapless Jean-Pierre, John, whatever her name is, I, I don't care. The White House spokeslier as she's reading from her binder. Their assessment, uh, but the departments work across several administrations to address disinformation that threatens the security of our country is critical and that will indeed continue. And again, neither uh, Nina Jan Jankowicz nor the board have anything to do with the censorship or with removing content from anywhere. Their role is to ensure that national security officials are updated on how misinformation is affecting the treat the threat the threat environment. Uh, she, uh, she has strong credentials and a history of calling out misinformation from both the left and the right, and that's uh, and that's our focus. Did the White House play a role at all in whether it should be paused or what should happen with with the board? No. First of all, like. I Okay, no, wait a minute. No. <laughs> the Washington Post announced it was paused. If the White, the, absolutely the White House played a role. How do I know? Because it's been paused. If the White House didn't want it paused, it wouldn't have been paused. She just spewed 
disinformation in a discussion about disinformation, but we're not even to the best part. I said, this this is what's happening. There is a pause. Uh, we did not have an in involvement in this at all. Follow up to the disinformation board. Last week, you guys said that you needed this disinformation governance board at DHS to make sure that freedom of speech is protected across the country and that these platforms are not used for forms of disinformation. So what changed? Look, the Department of, of Homeland Security, they began their statement report, re repeating that the board had been intentionally mischaracterized, which is a little bit of what you were asking me. And they were explicit about what it does and doesn't it does not do. Uh, it was never about censorship, pol policing speech, or removing content from anywhere. Its function was to keep Homeland Security officials aware of how bad actors, including human smugglers, uh, transnational criminal uh, organization, and foreign adversaries could use disinformation uh, to advance their goals. As Secretary Marcos said, he has asked uh, former DHS Secretary Michael Chernoff and former D D DAG uh, Jamie Gorlick to lead a thorough review, this is the pause that I was talking about, an assessment as members of the Bipartisan Homeland Security Council Advisory Council. Hold on. Got to hear, you got to hear Ducey's follow up. This is so good. The board will not convene during that period, but the departments work across several administrations uh, to reading, address disinformation reading, that reading, threatens spewing uh, the security lies, for reading, our blah, country. Blah, 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 reading, reading, reading. So that work is going to continue. So, so if it's pausing because you think the board was mischaracterized, then the disinformation board is being shut down because of disinformation? Is that what's happening here? Look, I mean, the, the board was put forth for a purpose, right? To make sure that we really did a, t a uh, really did address what was happening across the country when it came to disinformation. Yes, 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 uh, clearly. So the framing for me on this is since we know that in fact the, the White House could say, no, don't cancel the, the, the Ministry of Truth, they agreed, let it cancel. She lies about that in that statement. It was mischaracterized and yet Nina Jankowicz, who is to run it, and I've played the audio, is on record saying that Twitter should shut down more stuff. She's on record saying that people like her should be allowed to edit our tweets by adding context, our words covered over by hers. She's on record saying that. She's on record stating that to call a woman a name is disinformation, a rude name is disinformation. Or, or to say that men are not women is disinformation. So that's step one of the framing on why I think this is all a planned collapse because it's becoming impossible for them to hide. I will prove here that the people who run Joe Biden don't give a stinking, uh, I don't use that word, a stinking pile of feathers about disinformation. <laughs> this is congressional testimony. A, a woman named Amy Abraham is speaking in front of a committee. They're talking about abortion. This, this is the absolute textbook example of disinformation. It is a lie. Now, she can frame it as her opinion, and in, even in that case, it's still absolutely, clearly a lie, and this is the official party line of the people who want us to believe, oh, there was no rehearsal for COVID. Oh, we didn't know the injections would kill people. Oh, we're just accidentally erasing 10,000 cases from the VARS database. 
oh, uh, the myocarditis, pericarditis. Yeah, we saw that coming, but it's only mild heart attacks and mild death. Oh, the food shortage, that's a total shocker to us. None of us saw that coming. No one could possibly see that coming, right, Stanny Hoyer? I go to a grocery store called McKay's in Charlotte Hall, Maryland, a little community in southern uh, Maryland, St. Mary's County. And I am amazed at the fairness of the shelves. Stunned. Stunned. Who could have seen this coming two years ago when, when many people like me said, you know this is going to lead to a supply chain disruption, right? Who could have seen it? We did. Why? Because we're not afraid to get out in front of things and say, look at the patterns. So here we prove that the people who run Joe Biden don't give a stinking pile of feathers about the truth or about this information. Um, what do you say a woman is? I believe that everyone can identify for themselves. Okay. Um, do, do you believe then that men can become pregnant and have abortions? Yes. It's funny because it's blatantly untrue. And, and please get the show notes. If you're not on a Substack, this is so useful. In the subscription service, this is a video I will play so you will be able to see because to me, part of the analysis is in this lady's eyes. She has utter disdain for people who question this. And she and you look at her, she is full on mocking. Now, that means to me that she dang well knows that men don't get pregnant, but she knows the game and she's looking at them saying, yeah, I am going to speak the party line and you're not going to stop me. I am going to speak nonsense and you're not going to stop me because nonsense is part of the plan. And it digs into this. Now, this is Mike Johnson, Representative Johnson, who is now questioning the same woman, Amy Abraham, who has the same mocking look. And this is so utterly cold. And it is also, once again, it's not disinformation. It's truth, except that she knows she doesn't really believe this. If this woman really believes this, she's a psychotic chain killer in, in the waiting. If she actually believes what she's saying here, this woman is criminally insane and should be locked up. That all human beings are made by their creator and endowed by him with certain inalienable rights. The first listed in our declaration is the right to life. Since the medical doctor here uh, wants to deny the facts and reality, let me ask the abortion advocate, Ms. Armbide, to answer my questions on this subject. Ma'am, you testified that you are, quote, unapologetic in seeking unrestricted abortion access. So I'm wondering, at what point is it not okay to abort a child? What, what age of gestation? I trust all people to determine what they can and can't do with their bodies. Full stop. Okay. I also believe that human rights, um, including access to the medical care, medical care that they need within their communities, is something that should be afforded everyone. Great. Okay. So you, you support late-term abortion? I support all people and trust That means late-term abortion. Do you support partial birth abortion? In other words, the child is half-delivered, and then the woman says, my right, I want to take that one out. You support that? I trust people to make decisions about wow. the body. Wow. Okay. What, what about, um, so, so abortion should be allowed then, by your definition, for any reason, for any purpose, at any stage, right? 
I trust people to make decisions about their body, and then when relevant, I think that they need to consult their medical practitioners okay. and not if, if it is, Listen, let me just ask you this question. If it is not lawful and morally acceptable to take the life of a 10-year-old child, I assume you agree with that, right? That would be wrong, correct? I believe that Okay, that is and wrong. a two-year-old child, same thing, that would be murder, we would all agree that's wrong. Then what is the principal distinction between the human being that is two years old or nine months old or one week old or an hour old than one that is eight inches further up the birth canal in the utero. What, what's the difference? Why is it okay in the latter case and not the former cases? The, the pause is real here. It's not, I didn't put it in. I trust people to determine what to do with their own bodies. Wow. Full stop. Wow. Full stop indeed. And that describes right there exactly what this is about. There's a legal issue here, but un underneath that is a moral issue. It's about reality. It's about science the advancement of medical technology, you're talking about unborn children. And your, your full stop is that you will support the termination of that child at any time. And that is frightening. And that is why this decision should be turned to the popular will of the people. And hopefully they'll protect the sanctity of every single human life and live up to the standards of our Declaration of Independence. I yield back. So the look on her face betrays a someone mocking her statement is cold and robotic. She's either someone who believes you should be able to stab a little baby in the head with the baby's toes inside the mother, uh, or she's a cold liar, but she is part and parcel of the party, and at least we have people like Mike Johnson to push back on that. I'll explain why we're talking about this and why the framing of that in just, in just a second. The, um, the event that we had, and in Bothell, if you weren't there, I will put video of this up and we'll put some clips. The full video will be in the subscription service. I'm going to play some audio of it this week so you can hear it. I want to give huge thanks to Allen's Artisan Soaps. Neither Allen, the young man who's the namesake of the company and the chief soap officer and, and runs quality control. And it's, he does all this despite, I shouldn't even say that. He does this all with... Um, autism so profound that he's nonverbal. He works with that circumstance um, with, with other medical conditions that make it difficult for him to live without pain, physical pain. And he works with that, not despite it. He works with it. Uh, he wasn't able to make it. His father, John, who helps uh, run the company, couldn't make it to Seattle, but they shipped us a couple, gosh, maybe a hundred bars of soap. So people got to sample that. They didn't need to do that. They did it because they want people to try the soap. This is all this is about. Because we talk so often about the purpose of the company, which is to prove people like Alan have, have value in this world. Alan's life matters. You heard that clip from that cold, absolutely psychotic woman. She would say probably that Alan maybe should be aborted today, even though he's 11. So it would be murder. Um, Alan disagrees. He gets great joy from his life. The Alan's Artisan Soaps at alansoaps.com slash, slash Todd. It's a template. It's to rub it in that woman's face to say, here's what people you would reject, you would see killed, do and can do. They run soap companies. So for me to be there as it was, I think, 10 people Nine of them women, one man did come up and say, hey, I can't find your favorite scent of soap. What's your second favorite? The nine women who came up to me and, and, and sniffed the soaps, this is amazing. 
This is what we're asking you to do is to sample the soap. And if you don't like the soap, for goodness sake, please never buy it again. But I'm going to bet you like it. The, the, the scents are so unique. It's all small batch. It's all natural. Alan's skin can't handle anything that's not natural. Um, and try the subscription. Right? And if you don't think the subscription, don't keep doing the subscription. Here's why I say try the subscription. You get 10% off Alan's Artisan Soaps. Okay? And you get with that six bars of soap so you can try each scent. You get a soap rack. It's yours to keep, obviously, a soap pouch and a fluff, all at a 10% savings. And what you're also doing is trying a company that's trying to change the view of people like Alan from wards of the state to vital contributors. It's alansoaps.com slash Todd. It's the Herminator sub. It's a subscription plan. So all of this for me is to frame up what we're actually dealing with and why I am going to continue to be ahead of things and why I am going to question the food chain crisis and why I am going to question monkeypox. Yes, I have huge questions about that. Yes, I do think it's a psyop. Why? Because all the patterns are the same. And when you have this Nina Jankowitz who's going to head up this committee that they've paused and they haven't, they've paused nothing. They've paused nothing. They're just not going to do in public what they're going to continue to do in private. They were trying to make it public so they could brag about it and stop hiding it because we all know what's going on. We all do. Revolver News has the dirt on Nina, more dirt. Nina does know the truth about the deep state, and it's the opposite of what she claims. Nina, Nina's name appeared in one of the most explosive and aggressively censored national security leaks of the century. The leak in question exposed the Integrity Initiative, a dark government-funded NGO that appears to have engaged in political meddling and covert influence operations in Western countries under the guise of fighting, quote, disinformation. Founded in 2015 under the auspices of the UK's government-funded NGO Institute for Statecraft, the Integrity Initiative boasted a, a precariously fashionable motto, defending democracy against disinformation. The Integrity Initiative defended democracy by recruiting secretive clusters of academics, national security bureaucrats, journalists, think tankers, and lobbyists in multiple European countries. These clusters would then be engaged in various ways to address nation-specific threats of so-called Russian disinformation. In its organization, funding, and operation structure and rhetoric, the Integrity Initiative is the single best template for understanding how the hornet's nest of NGOs, journalists, and national security bureaucrats work secretly and in concert to wage psychological warfare against citizens of the West. And incidentally, this we covered on the radio program. We talked about it in depth, that this was going on with our money. This was going on. So, yes, I am going to question all of this. So, I'll start with New Zealand. I'll start with saying the quiet part out loud. I'll start with the dictator of New Zealand. Speaking about a happy, happy circumstance that we are to be so thrilled to have because, dang it, it's simply going to save us all. The pandemic has been the ultimate disruptor. It has changed our realities and given us cause to pause and reflect. And the disruption is an opportunity for us to reset. And over the next three years, there is much work to do. We will build back better from the COVID crisis. Yeah. 
better, stronger, with an answer to the many challenges New Zealand already faced. This is our opportunity. Fortunately for us, we already have a blueprint for such a world in the Sustainable Development Goals in the 2030 Agenda. We have incorporated the principles of the 2030 Agenda into our domestic policy making in a way that we hope will drive system level actions. This is not just a new scorecard. It is about fundamentally changing how we make decisions and therefore how we allocate resources. You will own nothing and you will be happy. You will eat less meat. You will drive far less often. And we can continue straight down the line. This is the same push that caused Bloomberg to write an article pretending that homeownership is not good for most people. And they said one of the reasons why is most people will not change their house every couple of years to add room for other people or to keep it to the best and uh, the highest and best use because people can't afford to do $100,000 remodels every year or every three years. This is an agenda of shuffling us off into high-rise apartments and them into land in the country. When they say you will own nothing and you will be happy, that implies that they will own everything and they will be happy. They don't include themselves in the you. Look at masks. Look at lockdowns. They do not include themselves in the you. So you better believe I'm going to question all of this. We have to question everything. That's the, ex- that's the result of the excuse of the COVID response hoax. She is a woman who said, we will continue to be your only source of information. We will continue to be the people to whom you listen. She said that out loud. And now we have the monkeypox. Well, isn't this interesting? We've got the monkeypox and we've got the food crises. Well, it appears that back in March 15th, of last year, March of 2021, there was a simulated event. It was simulated to begin in March of 2022. It was simulated to begin on March 15th of 2022. The exercise simulated a vaccine-resistant monkeypox outbreak that was a biological warfare attack. Who exactly were the participants? Oh, the CDC, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Dr. Chris Elias from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, The Wellstone Trust, look at that. People we can all recognize. A year ago, and almost a year to the day, we started to hear about monkeypox. 
a year to the day. And that experts, so-called experts, are baffled. And people are afraid of monkeypox because they're being told to be afraid of monkeypox. And the talk of the vaccine is already beginning. The comparison to smallpox is real and purposely meant to scare people. And this is the decade of the vaccine. Who said so? Bill Gates. What did he do? He partnered with Tony Fauci. What did he get? The CDC. What does he own? The World Health Organization. What else does he own? Many of the newspaper's health reporting uh, uh, structures. He invested in them. He pays for news coverage. And right now, I imagine that Bill Gates wants news coverage on monkeypox. So you better believe I'm going to get out in front of questioning this. Because it's coming at an all too convenient time. It's coming right as there's a debate going on that you heard about here for the first time, perhaps, that you heard about it six weeks ago or so when we had the great, great Dr. Peter Bregan on the show. And Peter Bregan broke the news on our show that day because the news broke that day and the doctor read it to us on this program. And it was three or four weeks later that Tucker Carlson, with his massive audience, brought light to this. The monkeypox thing is coming out at the same time as the World Health Organization is trying to con their way into taking over our countries, but only when there's pandemics. So rest assured, there's only when there's pandemics. But here's the catch. The World Health Organization gets to define what a pandemic is, when a pandemic is in progress, and how long a pandemic lasts. Then you read the fine print and you realize the WHO will have total authority over emergency operations in the United States if there is ever a, quote, public health emergency. Huh? What qualifies exactly as a public health emergency? Well, they don't define that. But they get to, they get to decide what a public health emergency is. And then they have total authority. You can see where this is going. Yeah, we all can, right? But I guarantee I would be getting fingers of accusation of don't get out ahead of this stuff, fast follow. Dr. Robert Malone, of course, who's told us the truth about the injections and about COVID. You'll hear what he says about the monkeypox. Just a second here. Uh, so um, I'm sorry if I will continue to speak of the events in Bothell. It was just so meaningful to me um, to to be able to spend an hour and a half visiting with you was an unbelievable gift. And I always feel bad in those circumstances because you get a, a line. There were a line from two angles. So I ended up going, um, turning to the right and then turning to the left and the right. And there was a gentleman and I made eye contact with him. And I thought he was going to, you know, I thought we were going to talk for a second. And then I realized, oh, I'm off. I got to go back to the left because I'm going back left and right. And I didn't want to like make the people on the left wait. It was their turn. I didn't get to see him. And I I have nightmares about that. So if you're that gentleman and you're still listening to the program, man, I apologize. Um, I just, uh, I hope you didn't feel like I shunned you. Far from it. I've had nightmares. I didn't get to shake your hand. And I did get to talk to a couple of people. I want to address very specifically a gentleman who came to me 
and we took a picture together. And he said, I want to take a pre-weight loss picture with you. There were two guys who said that to me. This was an older gentleman, a very large man. He knows it. I'm not talking out of school. And he said into my ear, I've signed up for soda weight loss. And I put my arm around him. I said, I'm, I'm proud of you for making this decision. And he said, it's gone on too long. It's gone on too long. And so I want to say to him to trust the program because I did the research. When they contacted us, it was such a big deal because they're so successful. State of the art, soda stands for state of the art. And I, I, I deeply wanted to work with them. But if it didn't, if I didn't pass my test, I couldn't work with them. I've lost 150 pounds. I have kept it off. I know the, the protocols by heart and the things that don't work. Soda takes care of the food. They take care of an eating plan that is not about calorie restriction. That's not the focus. It's about calories at the right time, in the right compounds, the right macronutrient mix, mix. And they take every effort to make sure you're not hungry because they adjust the amount of fat most people eat. Then it goes up. And that's pretty tasty. They also preach gentle accountability. Gentle because many of the people there have been through this. They are healthcare providers by background. And then this, you do this all at home. Also, with a man as big as this gentleman, there would be other weight loss companies that would say, hey, let's, let's, let's drop 30 pounds right away. Uh-uh. That stuff will boomerang so fast. So they will have already communicated to this man, here's the slow and steady progress that's going to get you to a point where your body is no longer betraying you and holding you back and harming you. My wife is on the program. I stand totally by it. It's sodaweightloss.com. Soda, S-O-T-A, sodaweightloss.com stands for state of the art. So I'm going to continue to question things and be out of head of things that other people choose to play the fast follow on because they say, oh, let everybody else make the mistakes. So if you're frustrated sometimes with conservative media, for instance, with me, because I was all over the gender jacking scam a decade ago, it's frustrating sometimes for me to people see, see people now glom onto it. Or, but, but I'm very thankful because they're exposing it. So I'm very, very thankful. You know, I, 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 the Lord's view of this is, hey, Todd, shut up. Who cares who gets the credit? This is evil. And so, of course, I have to have that and, and, and jealousy and coveting and that's all sin. So I'm not going to I'm not going to go that way. But I admit it enters my heart. If it frustrates you, I want you to understand the dynamic. People are afraid of making mistakes. They're afraid of getting out ahead of things. But this is so easy to see. And when we respond to fear and we let fear keep us from speaking what is absolutely clear pieces coming together. And we provide our analysis. Here's the news. Here's all the things that are happening. My analysis is the monkeypox is panic porn. My analysis is this is the decade of vaccines. My analysis is that they are trying to shake the world to its knees. My analysis is why don't we blow it up? My analysis is the Great Reset. My analysis is the World Economics Forum, um, Economic Forum's 2030 agenda. My, my analysis is they've penetrated governments all over. My analysis is they know that the money system is broken and unsustainable. They know they've robbed the treasury. They know they need to sink things so that they're never taken to task for that. They probably believe they're avoiding a catastrophe because if us little simpletons found out what they've actually been doing, we would in fact rise up and we may well. This is Dr. Robert Malone. 
who has gained nothing from speaking out. He could have continued to, to take research grants for the rest of his life and do research. He could have joined the COVID scam. He's the guy who helped invent mRNA as a carriage system. You'll hear them. You'll hear the fact checkers say, oh, he didn't invent the vaccines. He never said he invented the, the, the clot shots. Never. He said he in, helped invent and was one of the lead inventors, which is in fact proven by his patents, that he helped invent using mRNA as medicine, carriage systems to deliver healthcare. He could have joined the cluster of liars. And then the media would have called him the inventor of the vaccines. Because he would have been speaking their language. This is Dr. Robert Malone talking about the monkeypox from his point of view, his analysis. And this is to me, once again, why the pieces fit together so very, very easily. If you just listen to the doctor. The virus is like Ebola. Transmission only happens in close proximity by contact with lesions, body fluids, etc. Then it goes on to say, although symptoms often ease within a month, one case in 10 can be fatal. And then in the same article. Pattern recognition. In the same article, they're talking about the way things were. They're going to go to something that now makes it different. SARS-CoV-1 and 2, our immune systems could conquer. We were told, or SARS-CoV-1, pardon me, SARS-CoV, SARS and SARS-CoV-1. Oh, our immune systems handled that, but not SARS-CoV-2. No, there's no immunity to this. It's absolutely novel. No one's immune system can conquer this. Everybody will die. So that's the new, new pattern recognition. They go on to quote... Um, the World Health Organization in a in a bias sampling, which is cases reported to the WHO that are so severe that a nation state feels like they have to report it. The aggregate case fatality rate is 3.7%. So how Gavi goes from 3.7, which is a worst case scenario to 10% uh, boggles my mind. This is and once again, what do we see? A conspiracy to make it appear worse. What do we see? Blatant cherry picking of data, which is exactly what they did with COVID. Everybody who ever went into the hospital was tested. They use this word case, which means nothing. It's a scare word. But they never use that when calculating death rates. They would switch to an infection fatality model where people had confirmed, were confirmed to have been sick. But they never disclosed that, oh, by the way, most of these people who are dying are 84 years old. Most of them have three comorbid conditions. Same pattern. They're doing the same thing. This is clear fear porn. I, I listened in as I was in the airport lounge about to jump over to Bath here um, to Heathrow, listening to CNN push their version of fear porn in which they were clearly showing smallpox infected patients and uh, including that in this statement about monkeypox. So getting on to your question, is monkeypox related to smallpox? Yes. So is cowpox, which is used to vaccinate against smallpox, Historically, this was Edward Jenner, 
Um, so is camel pox. Uh, there are a number of these pox viruses that are absolutely not lethal in humans. The mortality rate in humans is less than 1%. Uh, this is only spread by close contact. All the cases so far have been, let's say, gently men who have sex with men. Um, and monkeypox has been endemic in Central Africa for uh, probably the history of humankind because it resides in a number of animal species. And of the two clades of monkeypox, the one that's circulating right now, calling it circulating is a gross overstatement. The one that has had a few scattered cases is the least of the two in terms of its disease. So recapping, it's the same play. It's the same method. It's the same media beginning to dribble the stories out. It's the same playas. It's the same setup, which leads me to believe it's the same goal, which is control, which is the World, World Economic Forum's goal. Because now we have the dictator of New Zealand simply just announcing, yeah, we're doing it. We're going to do the World Economic Forum's plan. That's going to run our, that's going to run our, our country. So I'm going to continue to point these consistencies out because consistency matters. It's, it's what about ism in reverse. And it extends from the COVID, from monkeypox. It extends all the way over to climate and food. Mike Lee had the most remarkable bit of testimony. So Senator Lee from the state of Utah, he's the actual conservative from the state of Utah. Um, and unlike Mitt Romney, is not in fact run by the party. Oh, they, I don't, I don't see him calling out Big Pharma. Very few will. If you won't call out Big Pharma, you either don't get it, or you're you're bought, or you're afraid. You're you're bought, afraid, or you don't get it. Otherwise, you'd call it out. So Mike Lee had Jason Kenny, the 18th Premier of Alberta. Yes, I, yes, I pulled his bio. The 18th Premier of Alberta since 2019. Um, he was talking to him about the ESG score. And Mike Lee asked a, a pretty, or framed this in a pretty good way. It shows that he absolutely understands the ESG score. The number one goal of the ESG movement, or at least a primary motivating goal, seems to be to ensure divestment from fossil fuels in any and every way possible. Now, I would imagine that the ESG insanity that works that, that we're seeing has, has made energy development riskier and more expensive in Canada as it has in the United States. What impacts are you seeing from ESG specifically on Alberta's energy sector? Okay, now hold on. We're going to come back to this. Hold on because I want you to hear his answer and keep in mind pattern recognition. And keep in mind, we're getting ahead of things. And keep in mind what I asked. Are we seeing a carefully planned collapse? Yes. For God's sake, we're seeing a carefully planned collapse. It's global. Wait until you learn a tiny little detail about the ESG score, which maps straight to a tiny little detail about what happened when we were told we couldn't buy uh, Russian oil anymore. Hey, if it seems an unsettling time, uh, man, it does to me too. And I am so glad that the Lord is in charge. I'm so glad that uh, he sits on the throne. 
I'm so glad I know how where all this ends. And I firmly understand that I am only a citizen. I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm just visiting here. And you know what? Somehow that just still doesn't make it okay um, to watch our, our world being attacked this way. So I want to do everything I can to have myself in order, particularly um, making sure that I have a home for my family. You have a just golden opportunity to do a no-brainer approach to check off on this. I'm asking everybody who hears this to get in touch with American Financing at AmericanFinancing.net. Simply take them up on their free mortgage review. It's, it's uh, no cost. There are no upfront fees. They don't do that. They are a family-owned national mortgage bank that's been in business for 20 years. They're A-plus with the Better Business Bureau. And what they're seeing right now is the opportunity for a cash-out refinance is unbelievably just attractive. And I'm guessing temporary, right? What that could mean is cash in your pocket to pay down bills, such as the poisonous ones, like the, the big credit card bills. It could mean fixing your house up to a degree that it's the one you're going to stay in for the rest of your life and therefore pay off, right? It could mean finishing off college to get your kids out of that insane system. It could mean affording private school for you or your grandkids. Now, if it's not cash out, you could also just turn around and save up to a thousand bucks a month on your mortgage. A thousand bucks. You do the math as well as I do. Across 20 years, you're talking about $240,000, a quarter million dollars. American Financing and AmericanFinancing.net does not charge upfront fees. They can get these deals done in as light as 10 days. Just call them. They're at 866 887 2275. It's 866 887 2275 or visit AmericanFinancing.net. 866 887 2275. NMLS 182334 and NMLSConsumeraccess.org. So here's the full answer. Senator Lee asked the question, framed the question, talked about the ESG score, asked about what impact this is having in the, in the country of Canada, specifically Alberta. He's asked this question here of the gentleman who is the premier of Alberta, Jason Kenney. Very significant impacts, Senator. Uh, it's one of our primary uh, concerns because there's been, I think, a particularly uh, prejudicial uh, and an accurate application of ESG principles against investment in financial services to the Canadian uh, oil sands in particular, with, uh, as I say, uh, nearly 180 billion barrels of proven and probable reserves. So our companies report difficulty accessing reinsurance. Uh, there's, uh, uh, you know, cre credit and, and, and uh, equity investment. Um, a lot of this emanating from European financial institutions. A lot of it based on a misconception about uh, the emissions profile of Canadian heavy oil, the bitumen. Um, and here's the peculiar thing. Of the top 10 reserves uh, in the world, Venezuela, Saudi Arabia, Canada, Iran, Iraq, Russia, Kuwait, UAE, the US and Libya. Uh, apart from the United States and Canada, the other eight top 10 reserves are in countries where energy is developed largely by state-owned enterprises or quasi-state-owned enterprises who are not subject to ESG criteria. So if financial markets strangle, uh, the publicly traded transparent companies in North America, all this will do is ship production to uh, some of these world's worst regimes and their state-owned enterprises. What are we doing right now to get oil? 
were buying it from those regimes. Huh. So the kill shoot behavior in ESG is to skyrocket the price and contain, constrain the supply for private companies who will then shift over to so-called green nonsense and flip the infrastructure of an entire country back to electricity, back to it. Which is, by the way, you can you, you want to call that clean? Go ahead. The infrastructure is not. You, you can't often use electricity to produce electricity. You need to have fossil. So again, I'm going to say, is this a planned collapse? If you were going to collapse the global economy, what else would you do if you wanted to do it in a way that you had the ability to hide behind incompetence or war or famine or a pandemic? And please never come to me and say, oh, well, the World Economic Forum is just a discussion group. I'm sorry. We just had the dictator of New Zealand admit that she's doing this to her country, which brings us to the food chain reaction. November 2015, six years ago, a D.C. policymaker simulated a new normal of skyrocketing food prices and famine and climate migration. Predictably, the end result was a U.N. global climate government and body and a global carbon tax. Tom Daschle is involved in this. And incidentally, there's a fantastic write up of all this linked in the show sheet that you yourself can go look at and peruse and make sure that you're happy with the sourcing of it. Tom Daschle, of course, Democrat, what was he, Senator, one of the most boring men in the history of all boredom, and and now a playa in what has come true, but we all saw it two years ago that this was going to happen. So this august and important body, somehow couldn't find a way to prevent the thing they began studying in 2015. There are significant risks as we look at the problems we face with regard to food security, especially going forward. Some of the most complicated and some of the most extraordinary challenges that the world has faced in all of its history. Food chain reaction is an effort to put some of the major actors on this planet who have to deal with a global food crisis. Food chain reaction was really to create these scenarios based on scenarios that have happened in the past, but how do countries respond to them? We had eight teams. We had four rounds spanning from 2020 to 2030. Our real hope was that we would get players from all around the world to elevate a more global conversation among all of those different worldwide experts. The game itself created an opportunity to live into the future. It caused people to think through what the possibilities are. And in that process, I think they realized what they have to start to do today to prepare for that future. The challenges and crises that we were assigned are exactly what we expect to see in the future. So you've got famine, you've got increased pests, you've got the role of climate change in the world. It's a world where it's getting hotter and it's getting drier. We're also seeing increased social unrest. Seeing it. Oh, are we? We're seeing it. No, we're watching it be installed. <laughs> you were taking, what do we have? What are, what is the, um, oh, I'm forgetting the hierarchy of needs. The hierarchy of physical needs are being attacked. Food. Shelter, water, 
Maslow's hierarchy of needs. <laughs> we're, we're watching it. We're watching it be attacked. You have your psychological needs, safety needs. Our psychological needs are being destroyed. Kids are being told, you're neither boy nor girl. You're whatever the heck you want to be in kindergarten. You decide. They're being told, don't trust your eyes. You can't tell that's a boy. We'll tell you if that's a boy or a girl, or they'll tell you, but never trust your eyes. You cannot tell from your eyes. Safety needs. You're not safe. Monkeypox is going to get you. You don't have an immune system. Belonging and love needs. Stay away from your friends. I just saw a tweet today. Someone said to me, don't go near masked people. They might be hiding their pox. No, I'm not going to play that game. Pseudo relationships through social media and Zoom. Esteem needs. Look what, what, you can't achieve anything. It's all been stolen, particularly if you're a BIPOC. You're, you're, you're oppressed. Nothing. You can't achieve anything unless Hillary Clinton does it for you. Cognitive needs. My goodness gracious, have you read the literature that 11-year-olds read in 1860 or in 1880? There's this belief that we're the smartest ones. Well, maybe in some ways, but have you read the way people expressed themselves back then? Aesthetic needs. Well, we're certainly hitting that. We're getting that. But of course, it's all fake. Self-actualization, transcendence. Oh, that's interesting. Our aesthetic needs. No longer made in the image of God, made in the image of pharma. Self-actualization. What is your identity? Well, let's see. I'm a child of God. Um, I'm an art lover. Um, I like shooting. Uh, I like outdoor physical activities. Um, I like weightlifting. Um, I love books about philosophy um, I love fiction from some very specific authors and, and I, I like fiction that's, I, I like Russian fiction, some of the famous books there. And I love books about the ending of things for some reason. And no, 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 wait, 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 wait. Are you, are you, are you gay? Are you straight or are you trans? Which one are you? That's your identity. Self-actualization, transcendence. Yeah. What is the transcendent thing that they're offering us? Oh, that's right. The transcendent strength of human beings to invent truth. Wow. Wow. Yeah, but it's this is probably just me barking at the moon. It's all madness. And pattern recognition. That can't account for anything. This is the Todd Herman Show. We do appreciate your support. Sharing the show with friends is the way we grow. Please go be well, be strong, be kind, and be mindful that God Almighty did not create little robots to follow around leaders, but people to read his word. And if we went to one thing and the theme of the day, one thing you will know them by their works.